When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, Watch Forest Focus. No midweek game, but we are in the middle of the January transfer window and a Premier League relegation battle, I think it's fair to say. So we'll discuss all that in the company of the Daily Mail's Midlands football writer, Tom Colomossi, as today's guest. Tom, good afternoon. How are you? Hi, Matt. Really well, thank you. Really pleased to be on. Thanks for having me. No, it's good of you to join us. It's good to get your insight onto into what's happening. And we will talk transfers a, a bit because, you know, it's Forest and they go hand in hand, even with uh, the events of recent weeks around FFP. But um, I normally end on questions around the bigger picture and where we're at with relegation battles and stuff like that. But we'll probably start there. I mean, where do you think Forest are in terms of the league table, um, the thing that's hanging over their heads, the What's your feeling around Forest's chances of of surviving this season in the Premier League? I think it's the great unknown of what the points deduction will be, isn't it? Um, I think if it's five points or less, you generally think they'd probably be all right, especially because they have players to come back like Gibbs White, like Awani, like the other players who are away at the Africa Cup of Nations. If you're starting to talk six, seven, then it all depends on the reaction of the squad. What I think Nuno will be good at is creating that mentality of us against the world. He was very successful at that. I covered um, a good chunk of his time at Wolves and they didn't have anything like this to deal with, but he was very good at creating that really tight group of players, staff, people he trusted um, and creating this kind of spirit where they'd all do anything for each other and it's really really tight um and you wouldn't want a points deduction to to help you with that of course but um i think he's a good manager for this situation because that is something that that he will excel at what about where you know the quality we see on the pitch they're so I mean, like any team in that position in the league, they have good days and bad, and you don't know what's coming really with, with Forest. Like they were so good against United and and Newcastle, then Brentford, we see uh, failings kind of rear their heads. And we'll talk goalkeepers, but also they can't defend set pieces. Still, um, do you think as a team that they're, they're, they're good enough without the points deduction to to finish kind of lower mid table if we didn't have that to worry about? I think they've got enough attacking talent. To do it, yeah. Um, I want to, he can't stay fit, but he's a proven goal scorer at this level. Even if he misses half the matches, he usually contributes enough to 
get a solid total of goals, uh, the runs he's been on of scoring, a testament to that. Wood is like the player who was at Burnley again suddenly, I think, um, which is a huge bonus for them. I think on form, Gibbs White is such a creative player. I actually really like Dominguez. I think he's got something that's really required in the league. He's got that kind of athleticism, bravery, um, and he can score a goal. He gets in some really good positions. And also, I thought Danilo's performance at Brentford was really encouraging. Um, I was listening to your last edition of the podcast and um, Michael Temple made the point that his highlights really be pretty impressive at this point. And often when you're a flawed team like Forest Star, let's be honest, having enough players who can just do something in a game out of the ordinary to, to solve a solve a problem, that can often make the difference. And, and I think Forest have a lot of really very good attacking players. And, and I would say that would get them over the line. The dodgy thing is the defending though, isn't it? And I watched a lot of Leicester last season who should never have been relegated. And I always think it's a real red flag when you pour at set pieces because it's the one thing that you can practice. You can, so much software, so much information out there. You can look at that until the cows come home. You can prepare for every situation. So when you continually concede from them, I just think it indicates something quite not right in the mentality. Hopefully, the attacking talent that they have will be enough to cover for that. But it does concern me a bit that, and, and you mentioned yourself, the goalkeeping situation, which is, I mean, it's bizarre really, isn't it? Mm. We can't have guests uh, bigging up temps too much. So you, that's a, after Calvin did it, that's a, that's a red flag. But no, um, he is really, he's a good part of the podcast. Um, let's talk goalkeepers then. I know yourself and other journalists reported, you know, Forrest uh, probably going to stick with what they have. I mean, do you think that's sustainable? Do you think it's genuine or as well? Is it just Nuno kind of trying to boost the ego of, of Turner, which looks kind of fallible? What do you think about that whole scenario? Look, I've been covering transfer windows for the best part of 20 years now. And what you think on, where are we now? January the 22nd, January the 23rd can be completely different come January the 30th. Mm. And I think when Nuno said that and thought that, he genuinely did think it. I don't think it was a smokescreen for, for anything else, but that was before Brentford. Let's say against Bristol City, there's another goalkeeping mishap. At that point, I think it becomes untenable, the idea that you can go through the season with these two, because... I've spoken, I was speaking to another of my colleagues on the patch about this, and we were saying that presumably in a team, if the, if you're not sure about the goalkeeper, it spreads jitters all through the team. So the defence are a bit more on their nerves than they might normally be. And the midfield knows that of the defence. So they're a bit more on the nerves than they might normally be. And so on through the team, you get through to the forwards, you're probably thinking, oh, blimey, I can't miss one here because he's going to throw one in later. And, you know, I, I just think that it's such... They did well last year, didn't they? When Henderson was injured, they managed to get Navas in, who's a, a you know, a proven goalkeeper. Um, they just I don't know enough about Vlaco Dimos. He was very highly rated in Portugal. 
which is a good league. People say, oh, it's no good. It's It's got some serious teams in that league. Um, but English football is different in terms of the challenge you might face. And to me, Turner just doesn't look up to it. Um, but he makes the odd good save, of course, but he's also let a few in. Do you remember in Cooper's final game, Kulisevsky's second goal mm. just went right through him? And because of um, everything that was happening around Cooper at the time, this quote got lost, but Cooper said something like, well, that just shouldn't happen at this level. It was quite unlike him because usually publicly he would always protect the players. And that showed that he lost his patience with him so much. He was obviously under pressure himself that he just, you know, he could just um, hang about to try, really. And, yeah, I, it's a long way of saying that I think they'll have to do something. They'll mm-hmm. have to find a way to do something because you've got best part of half the season still to go with two keepers you can't rely on. And that's not a recipe for comfortable survival. No, and you know it does have Leicester parallels again, doesn't it? With Danny Ward and Everson oh, last yeah, season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no one could replace Michael, and yeah, oh, I hadn't thought of that before, but yeah, that is a bit of a, an alarming thing as well. What about um, the other business that we might see in January around? You know, Oral Mangala looks like he might well be off. Um, what would you, what would your take be on that in terms of? Would you think that's a good bit of business if it funds a goalkeeper then? I would actually. I think with Mangala, it's an interesting one in that what happens a lot of the time around transfer windows is that it's not as simple as Napoli or Juventus watching a bunch of English games and thinking, oh, you know, and their analysts looking at the data, thinking, oh, that's that's the guy for us, you know, we'll have Oral Mangala. Clearly, what's happened here is that Nuno has given, they've gone to Nuno and said, look, might have to sell someone in this month if we want to get anyone in. Of all the players you have, who could we who we could generate a market for? All right, Mangala will be one of those. Then the agents get to work with the mandate. They will go to the various different markets. So they go to Italy, see if they can get a bite there. They go to Turkey, Germany, Spain. What's happened, I would imagine, is that Mangala is being offered to clubs in Serie A on Forest's behalf and they seem to have got a bite from Napoli. Um, and you would expect it to get done from here. And I, I agree with you. I think if it does fund a goalkeeper, that will be worthwhile because at the start of the window, they definitely were prepared, I think, to consider offers for Ryan Yates. But I don't think there was a market for Ryan Yates. Mainly because... They were prepared to consider him, I think, because he's a homegrown player. And with FFP, it's it's total profit, mm. isn't it? You don't have to factor in the amortisation um, and all those details that, that football fans shouldn't have to think about, really. Um, but there was no market for Yates. And I think Nuno trusts him. It, it, there's Certainly early on, there's parallels for me with, with Conor Cody at Wolves. Um, I don't think Nuno's wild about British players generally, but... Usually, if you look at Wolves and you look at here, there'll be a couple who will really hang his hat on it. And Yates does seem to be one of those at this point. Gibbs White wasn't at Wolves, but probably would be another one here. Um, So I think, yeah, I think anything you can do to try to get a keeper in, it's of paramount importance, I think. And, uh, you know, from, from what you guys say on this podcast, I imagine what other Forest fans are thinking. There's not a right lot of trust, is there, in either keeper? Mm. I suppose the frustration for fans 
is kind of we're, we're losing a good bit of recruitment to replace some bad recruitment and that's <laughs> yeah. historically one of Forest's problems I mean Emmanuel Dennis looks like he's going back to Watford John Joe Shelby was just an absolute disaster but you know there is mitigation Forrest did a lot of this very quickly and there was going to be hits and misses but it does yeah does create um some frustration certainly you I mean you mentioned um Gibbs White and there's other there are sellable assets at Forest, aren't there? But mm. Gibbs White they shelled out so much for and you know, with the amortization, it doesn't really help, I guess. Does it have to be, you know, a, a Yates a Warrell or a Mangala where you are quite well stocked? The the one of those is probably gonna have to go, then you think. I think I think it would look like Mangala, wouldn't it? I am sure yeah. they would sell Warrell tomorrow, I'm sure, but it doesn't appear to be a certainly a lucrative market for him yet. Mm. And I think I may be wrong here, but Yates seems to be quite an important man for Nuno at this point. Yeah. Even when players come back from AFCON, I think he's, he's just someone he trusts. Um, he likes... Again, I, I go back to Cody, and, and Yates strikes me as one of those players, super professional, really good mentality, strong character, um, honest, steady personality, you know, you're not going to get him coming. He's in the mood one day. He's in a, you know, sulk another day, and that is what Cody was at Wolves. Um, and I think Nuno likes that. He likes these kind of right. Here's my pillar. I can build everything else around. Not necessarily the most talented player, but just someone I can hang my hat on. You know, to do what I want him to do. And it looks to me early on, lots can change. It looks to me like like Yates is that guy. What about the prospect of um, Gibbs White leaving? Because I saw yesterday it was reported that Newcastle are monitoring him. I think it would be pretty crazy to sell now, unless it's an astronomical fee. But do you think a player like that is for us going to be in that position where we have to sell someone every summer if we are in the Premier League to to stay within the boundaries of FFP going forwards this time? I think Gibbs White would be more one for a summer window. Yeah, unless. The finances really dictated it because with the way that if he's signed for 25 million pounds so he's you know let's say his value's gone down to what a five-year contract he signed gosh my maths on that great um it might be sort of 15 on the accounts now something like that um and so, then if you got i don't know 40 50 million for him then that's a good profit for ffp but what interests me is that everyone is kind of hamstrung by FFP at the moment, aren't they? Mm. So mm. even if somebody is prepared to sell a significant asset, there's not that many takers for them at the price that they would want. And I think that's why we've seen a relatively slow market now. Um, and what's also interesting is that clubs, I think, have thought, well, we've always got Saudi. They'll just take them all. But players are going to be looking at Jordan Henderson leaving there. Karen Benzema can't wait to get out of there, apparently. Amérique Laporte gave an interview that was very uncomplimentary about the league, and, and that's going to make players think, I think, too. So there's, there's not, even if you're determined to, to sell a top asset or you're willing to sell a top asset, getting the price from that you want at this time of the season is very tricky. Yeah, and also if we were to sell to Newcastle, I would imagine we still owe quite a significant yeah, well, sum for Wood and Shelby yeah, as well. Yeah. So you're wiping off a, yeah. a chunk of it as well. 
What about the evolution of of Gibbs White this season? I'm not sure it's evolution. He took a bit of a backward step at the start of the season, but um, is he a player that you see long term as a, a a top six player? You know, or can stay at Forest long enough to drag them up the table? But has he got that potential to to break into the England squad in time? You think? I think the difficulty he's got is they're very lucky at the moment in his position, aren't they? England, they've got mm-hmm. lots of good players in that attacking midfield, number 10, wide attacking area. Um, I really like him. I've always liked him since I saw him make his debut at Wolves on the telly, actually, against, I can't remember if it was his debut, but it was an early game, and he did a really, came on, picked it, did a really clever pass over the top. I remember thinking, crikey, who's that? And I've followed him really ever since. And it's been pleasing to see that Nuno's gone with him at Forest, because he didn't really trust him at Wolves. He couldn't play him in his best position. He had loans. I don't really think they saw eye to eye. And I did wonder, actually, when Nuno came in, I thought, oof, you know, how's that going to work? But he's looked at it. He's realised he's most creative player and he's given him the freedom to do what he does best. Um, Whether he's a top six player... I just don't know at the moment because it's becoming, football is becoming increasingly Americanized, isn't it? In terms of how much we value raw numbers and raw data. People look Mm -hmm. at how many goals you get, how many assists you get, how many of this, how many of that. And I think until his goals and assist numbers get higher, he's probably not someone who's going to go to one of the elite clubs yet. Um, and I think maybe he still blows a bit too hot and cold. Maybe he's somebody that you need to build a whole team around or you need to have him in his exact best position to get the best from him. And I question whether he's good enough to do that at a top European club, you know, whether he would be better than someone else who plays his position, you know, to to knock that player out. Um, What you'd hope is that he could be someone who pushes Forrest forward over the next couple of years. Um, a bit like a bit like Jack Grealish did at Villa in the final year in the Championship and then the first two years before his move. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm not sure he's quite at that, at that height yet. What, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I hear what you're saying as well. It's like his position... It's not a dying one because there are players like De Bruyne and Madison uh, who who do play that role, and Bruno Fernandez, although he's quite versatile. Like you say, you have to accommodate him, you have to build around him, and there aren't too many teams I can think of that will build their team around one attack. Like Guardiola's so formulaic, he's never gonna unless it's get the ball to Haaland type thing. He's not going to yeah. do that, and yeah. You know, um, I suppose Liverpool, uh, you know, they have their way of playing as well, but to trust. Uh, Morgan Gibbs White at this stage, when he's not an England regular, he's not even in the squad, I think is a bit of a leap. So it's interesting where he could end up. Like um, Newcastle sort of makes makes sense, uh, a club that's taking that next step. But I think he'd be wise, if Forrest can afford to keep him, hmm. just to hang around for a few more years and keep developing yeah. personally. I agree. Think, uh, looking, yeah, I don't think he's a lazy player. That's not what I was trying to say at all, because he, he does his share of work. But yeah. I think the area of the pitch that you have to have him in is quite specific to get the best out of him. 
when yeah. he was much younger, he was a, a number eight in a four three three. But I'm not sure he has the perhaps the physicality to do that in the Premier League. Where they're just athletes now, aren't they? Just mm. speaking to um, a sporting director of a Premier League club, and, and they said it's just a young man's game now. You look at recruitment, just because the athleticism, the pace, the the endurance, um, and Gibbs White is an he's he's athletic, he's quick enough, he's he does the work, but he's not an absolute specimen, is he? In that respect, mm. um, and so I think at the moment, you know. It would be great to think he could drive Forest forward, hopefully under Nuno, because I I am optimistic about what they can do with Nuno if they get over the, the hurdle this season and everyone just calms down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he did. It's interesting. He, um, he did play in a midfield role against Bournemouth when we went down to 10. And I thought he did really well because Bournemouth have got like Jefferson, Le- not Jefferson, yeah. Le- but Philip Billing, who's Massive, a big unit. Just, yeah. yeah, yeah. And Gibbs White did well in that role. So it'd be interesting if, say, Mangala goes and you needed Gibbs White to play one game in midfield out of desperation, I think he could do it. But In a three, des- maybe, I think. It'd have to yeah, be yeah, three, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't like to see him playing a two. But if yeah. you had two sitters and then, like, Danilo plays, is sort of yeah. covering for Gibbs White, he could drop deeper, than, you know, and be more of a traditional Danilo-type role. So, yeah. I mean, do you think Cooper kind of... The, the the Gibbs White scenario under Cooper kind of did it sum up the the final days that he kind of lost his way with him a bit playing him out wide and the thing did you think the thinking became a bit muddled at the end of the Cooper regime really which happens for a lot of clubs I think it did I think the game that finished him off was the Fulham game wasn't it mm. I think there was never going to be any way back from that and the interesting thing with with Gibbs White is that. He'd actually been quite effective in a wide role at different times in a kind of 4-3-3 um, or as a false nine sometimes, hadn't he? I remember the game before the game before the break for the World Cup. I wish I'd looked this up before I came on. Um, they played Crystal Palace and they won 1-0 and he scored the winner. And yeah. he, I think, plays a false nine or he might have played wide. And so... He, he did find ways of getting the best from him. But as you said, by the end, he just wasn't producing to the level he could, was he? No, he did. He had that good game. Was it Brighton at home where we scored that early goal? And yeah, yeah, that's right. Crossing. Yeah. Yeah. So he did have good moments playing out wide. But yeah, uh, it was interesting. Like, I love Steve Cooper. I'm not being critical of him, but it, it felt like... Um, I've said this before. He was trying to cover cover players' weaknesses rather than accentuate their positives because he he'd been there long enough and knew everything about the players and know what knew what they can't do. And Nuno at the moment, I mean, do you think Nuno's gone in there and just shifted the mentality of let's let's try and win these games rather than not lose them to an extent? I think, and people might look at it thinking, oh, he was quite a cautious coach at Wolves, but I think he's looked at what he has and thought, I don't have the players to play a cautious game, you know, because we will concede. So I might as well have a go at it. Where's our strength in the team? It's it's from kind of midfield and forward, isn't it? Attacking midfield and forward. It's not the other way, mm-hmm. where there's so many holes in the team. Um, and interestingly, in his first press conference, he did say that the game is more now about keeping the ball. You can't just play counter-attack. There's some teams that play counter-attack very successfully, but 
I think it's his way of looking at the squad and thinking, oh, crikey, well, I can't do that here. Um, and so I'll have to find a way to do it. And I think that's what that's what he is doing now. I do I do like him as a manager. There's there's, there's um, a lot of people, and, and not without reason, think he's quite grumpy, and he can be quite grumpy with us. Um, but he's you know a good a good um, good at what he does. I think I think he's good at assessing players. Um, he's good at understanding um, how to get grouped together. He realizes quickly who's for him, who's not for him, um, and he'll just do sort of some interesting little things like he at Wolves, he, it was always non-negotiable. They had to eat lunch together at, at the right time. Um, they would, yeah, he wasn't, I think the difference with him and, and Cooper, and there's not one that's right and one that's wrong. Cooper was much more of a, a friend to the players. He'd want to speak to them individually nearly every day. Um, he would phone them up to see how they were doing. Obviously, there was that, I'm the boss and, and you're the player, but it was much more kind of, you know, uncle-nephew relationship, perhaps. Um, Nuno's much more teacher-pupil and a strict teacher at that. I, mm. I, I think at Wolves, I wrote about this when Nuno first came in. Um, there was The story went that a few Wolves players had organised a barbecue or they were talking about having had a barbecue you know in pre-season or something and someone said oh did you invite Nuno and they were like oh my god what are you talking about you know it was as if you know a group of teenagers had been having a party and someone said do you invite your teacher well no of course we didn't invite the teacher you know um so he inspires a lot of loyalty he's quite strict you know he's quite old school in that way I think uh, and, and it might be it might be what they need now you know it, it and you'll you can see that in the way that he speaks publicly about them. Um, it's quite cold, isn't the right word, but it's 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 just quite clinical, you know. Like when Wood scored his hat trick, he said something like that. We thank him for that, didn't he? We thank him for that, yeah. and he gets to do it in the next game. You know, it it was it wasn't. Oh, it's fantastic! What a performance! Blah blah. We didn't get carried away in that way. He's not kind of clop in that way. You know, has mm. that warmth towards his players, or seems to. Um, but I do think he's, I think he's the right guy, just as long as he's allowed to do what he needs to do without all the chaos that's so often present in the background. True, certainly is. Um, let's just give a quick plug for our sponsors. As a listener, you'll know what the, I, I uh, always do a great job of these. So uh, we shall plug uh, Friday is Fish Friday at the NAV. Uh, £8.50 as ever with all their food and uh, there's happy hour drinks deals as well and live music so get down if you can and appreciate their support as ever. As someone who trained as a written journalist for the regional press at university doing all this stuff is very very different as well. Did you do that route just out of curiosity? I did. I I did um, college for um, yeah so I did College and then I went to PA that way. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Press Association. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then just sort of work my way through in, in that direction. Yeah, interesting. The evolution of, yeah, well, it's a different podcast, but the evolution of how people get into journalism and if they can get into journalism now is a, a conversation it, for a indeed. different day. Yeah, yeah. 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 You can spend a lot of money on a degree and not get a job these days. But yeah, different conversation. You were touching there before on about kind of 
the relationship with players, you know, the, not reintegrating, but, uh, bring, you know, emphasising Gibbs-White. But he has reintegrated players as well. Like Montiel came from nowhere. Uh, when Nico Williams was doing well, Toffolo seems to have been doing well. And now he seems like he's on the outs a little bit. Is, has that been an interesting um, twist, I guess is the word, for, for what's happened since Nuno came in for you? Yeah, it has. Um, I think Nuno, it's hard to say he kind of prefers non-British players. It's not. It's too sweeping probably to be like that. But it's been interesting. Again, you look at, at Wolves, they always had the Portuguese thing, didn't they? But, but genu- generally, apart from... Cody, um, Matt Doherty, who's Irish. You see that um, he preferred players from overseas, and, and it's it's notable, isn't it, that Montiel's come back in, Tavares has come back in, who were completely on the outside under Cooper, whereas um, Williams and Toffolo have had less time. Um, so yeah, I think it's a an interesting development that really, um, especially I think Montiel is given quite a lot. Of trust to hasn't it because he um there's been a few moments where he's been at fault i think you look at blackpool the first game you look at um brentford when he lost me for the second goal um he's quite an attacking threat but he's not he's not the most reliable going the other way is he so and maybe that speaks to the idea we're talking about of right where's our strength going forward that's where we try and load it um, and he, he got that assist, didn't he, for Dominguez against Blackpool, and he looks reasonably effective going that way. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting development, that. Yeah, I suspect we'll be discussing at least one silly red card for Montiel before the end of the season. I mean, the amount <laughs> yeah. of times a player gets booked for kicking the ball away or waving a yellow card or arguing with the ref. He's not quite Ryan Yates in terms of mastering communication with the referee yet, Montiel. Uh, so we'll see how he develops. What about? Um, I remember at the start of the window, you were reporting, uh, you know, entirely accurately. I'm sure about Omar Bamadeli potentially leaving. Uh, is this this one of those January transfer things where a player can come back into the fold out of nowhere? And now he looks like he he could potentially become a regular in the matchday squad, if not in the starting eleven. Suddenly, well, that's it. Right at the start of the window, that that was the thinking that Sir Omar Bamadeli Tavares. Um, and I can't remember who the third one was. There were three of them who were like, you know, certain uh, Andre Santos, that's it. And and yeah. and he went back, didn't he? Um, but again, it's like Lewis McGugan said this on a previous podcast that there'll be players who re emerge who you thought, well, where's he come from? And equally, players who were playing every week who suddenly get pushed to the sidelines. And, and Omid Bamidelli's been another one of those, hasn't he? I think in some ways it's by necessity with obviously. Um, Bolly and Niakate being away, but um, equally, I think that he could have picked Worley, could have picked McKenna, and he hasn't. And, mm. and two very young guys at the heart of the defense, it's quite a show of faith in Omar Bamidelli. I think he got, um, I think he had a bit of a rough time on, on Saturday, actually. Um, but yeah, Nuno obviously likes him, doesn't he? There was quite a lot of surprise when he was signed because. I think Cooper necessarily was a big part in that deal. Um, and I don't think that many people on the on the coaching side thought that um, he he had got what it took to play in the top flight. Um, but yeah, it's, it looks like it's a different thing altogether, doesn't it? 
Yeah, and it's the flip for Warhol as well, isn't it? I know Joe's had a rough time under the Steve Cooper lastly, but he was one of his most trusted players. And if it's a big statement to pick on Mbamadeli, it's sort of, is it another nail in the coffin for Joe Warhol that he wasn't selected for that Blackpool second game and then Brentford subsequently? You'd think so, wouldn't you? You'd think that it's hard to see a back for him for sure. Um, and again, not that they would get a huge fee for him, but it is um a, a an easy deal in terms of ffp players i mean player i haven't been covering forest for all that long but i know how important he has been at different times but sometimes players just reach the end of a line at a club for whatever reason and it's just better for both of them to have a fresh start and it, it feels like that with world doesn't it i think yeah calvin wilson was saying that yesterday you know feels like it's time for him to move i think scott mckenna's going to go as well there's going to be a big turnover of Centre halves in the summer. I mean, like I love Felipe, but do you deep down do you really think he's going to play many more games for Forest? No, I don't. No, no, no. I mean, even in as far back as pre-season, there were suggestions that he wasn't going to play that many games this season because of um, a knee issue, and, and now it's another problem with hamstring. So no, I think he he came in to do a very specific job, which was to keep him up, but it was never going to be a long-term signing, was it? No. No, certainly. Um, last player I was going to ask you about was Tavares. You've touched on it there. Um, before we started recording, Fabrizio Romano saying that you know Marseille want to sign him if Forrest will let him go. Another funny signing, wasn't he? I think he was he signed to play as a wing back when we were going to play wing backs, and now we're oh, playing a left this, back. Yeah, it, it, it's just it was it's chaotic mm. in every way, wasn't it? The final two days of that August window, there's no sense of right, this is a player that the recruitment team's identified. Steve Cooper's said, yes, that's the guy who I want. It, you know, we know the direction that this comes from. I think the son of the owner is, is heavily involved in, in recruitment. Um, and I do think that if Forrest, I'm not saying they've got everything wrong. The same players like Danilo, same players like Murillo, who are going to make the club a lot of money. But in future, I think if they're going to become an established Premier League club, not just on the pitch, it needs to be a much more structured approach to recruitment. I think that the days of signing, you know, signing the player because his agent was the last person you spoke to, that can't, that is not what top European clubs can do now, or certainly aspirational clubs. You know, you look at Brighton being a model of that. So I think that's Tavares signing was a, a result of those right, frenzied final hours of the transfer window. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it's got to change. You, I mean, you, yeah, you cover the whole Midlands patch. Is it fair to say Forests are pretty unique in the way they do things? Not necessarily all good or bad. But there's always a mix and, you know, somewhere in the middle, but they certainly do things a different way, don't they? Yes, yes, they do. Um, it's quite... It reminds me of a kind of Italian club, a kind of mid-level Italian club in the, you know, in the 1990s or 2000s where you have um, all-powerful owners and things happen unpredictably. Um, and that's certainly the case with, with a lot of the transfer business, isn't it? Like I said, it's not like they got everything wrong. You know, they, they ended up with a good, deal for Brennan Johnson, whether the timing of that sale was right is, is a another topic altogether. But 
um, I just think a little more calmness, a little more thoughtfulness, a little bit more method would not go amiss. Mm. Um, they're playing Arsenal next. Uh, I saw a stat saying Arsenal scored 45% of their goals from set pieces, including oh, yeah, penalties. Yeah. yeah, I know. And Forest have conceded 11 goals. Potentially, we might get a couple of AFCON players back. I see Ivory Coast having an absolute horror show. Yeah. We might get Sangare back and um, Willie Bolly. But just looking ahead at the next few games, does it feel like it's just a case of get through and get as many points as you can before those lads are back and we get, you know, Gibbs White fit and Alanga and a Wanyi? I think so. But, um, they've got, they've always had bad time with injuries, haven't they, Forrest? And it was notable when Nuno was at Wolves, certainly before the pandemic, they had a really good injury record. And in his first press conference, he highlighted how important it was to do better on injuries. You know, all the small details that he tried to correct to stop them having so few. Of course, you can't avoid certain ones. You know, if people break a bone, then that's not that's not the fault of anybody. But when you're getting muscle injuries, soft tissue injuries, as frequently as Forrest Havson had been back in the Premier League, it's something you can surely improve. Um, and they would hope that they could keep all those guys fit once they're back, wouldn't they? Or certainly for a decent chunk of the season, and then you can away you go into the rest of it. Yeah, yeah, true. I would, do you think we we're a bit fortunate as well with the FFP thing? The bottom three, without being disrespectful, it was Leicester, Leeds, Southampton went down last season. We, we're a bit blessed in the sense that the three at the bottom currently aren't kind of elite Premier League clubs, are they? Yeah, that's right. I think it's it's kind of influenced everybody really, hasn't it? Probably to be a bit more cautious in this window because people are probably thinking, well, you know, there's those three, Everton have had a deduction, they might get another deduction, Forest might get a deduction. So people probably think we can just about get through this season. Um, I hope it doesn't become a trend, though, that you have two or three of the promoted teams going down every year and, and being replaced by the ones who went down the previous season. So you look at the Championship now and Leicester, Southampton, Leeds, three of the top four teams. I hope it's an anomaly this year because... Certainly, Leicester. That was a it was crazy that they went down with the squad they had, um, and you know Leeds and Southampton made a lot of mistakes, and um, Southampton have been an established Premier League club. So you hope that there's a bit more unpredictability in it, don't you? But but certainly, um, Sheffield United and Burnley look like they've got it all to do, don't they? Mm, yeah. Oh yeah. I know Sheffield United played, showed some fight against West Ham, but I watched. What's that game? They should have won, actually. West Ham, of course, they're really short on the players. It showed Sheffield United had their own faults as well in that game. I suppose equally as well, like, if Forrest get on a run, um, Brentford and Palace look pretty fallible. I mean, that's, that's another frustration in the Brentford game. I don't think they're a good side, particularly. They're certainly shorn of players at the moment. So, there yeah, are teams Forrest can probably, catch as they get going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Palace, there's a decision to make there with Hodgson, isn't there? So mm. there's, there's often one team that kind of drops out of mid-table, isn't there? Um, mm. But yeah, it's, it's just all on this points deduction, really, isn't it? Until until that's known and they know what they're facing, it's going to be difficult to to give an accurate prediction about their prospects because you've always got that asterisk next to it. And what I really hope is that it doesn't go beyond the end of the season where you've got teams appealing and, and everything like that. I think that would be such a bad look for the competition. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the last thing I was going to ask you. Do you think, not necessarily profit and sustainability, is it 
as it is like completely untenable but does it need tweaking uh, around the rules and around the timing as well because like you say it's not a good look for the world's biggest football league if you end up not knowing who's going down after the last game's been played is it no it's it's really not and, and i think the problem um the problem they have is that um until the manchester city um situation is sorted i know it's different but the average supporter in the street doesn't see that you can go into all the minutiae of why city's charges that and it's 115 charges and it'll take longer and everton's and forest is simple breach but the look of it is awful i think that um this has been rumbling on for so long and yet Apparently, you have a date for the hearing. You can't tell us what the date is. Mm. And yet, Everton and Nottingham Forest for their breaches, and they are breaches, let's be honest. You can talk and say, oh, they didn't know, or they, they've broken the rules, that's it, you know. Um, but it just doesn't feel fair. And it doesn't it doesn't look right for the competition that um, these two clubs could end up being relegated for their breaches immediately. But you've got you know, the most successful team in the last decade just sailing along. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the lack of transparency, isn't it? I suppose you like, you want, you don't expect like an immediate resolution, but like you say, like not saying when the trial date is or not keeping fans updated in any kind of way isn't, it, it does fuel the conspiracy theories that I don't mm-hmm. think are massively there, but yeah, it does feel, it can feel like a closed shot, the Premier League, can't it? You know, and they need to avoid that in the longer term, certainly. Um, right. As a listener, you'll know that we have any other business. So if there's anything you want to say or plug around your work, your Twitter account, anything like that, there's a bit of an open floor for you to, to go for it now, Tom. Yeah, please follow me on Twitter. If you can stomach the references to clubs that you don't support, um, it's at Tom Colomossi. Good, good. And you can find your work in the mail uh, throughout the week uh, as well and I know you do like uh, you do like what is it web chats do we still call them that as Sometimes, well yeah that's right yeah yeah um I believe I might be doing one um on January the 24th which is Wednesday so yeah please join in for that one yeah yeah this will be out on Wednesday so do that if you can uh, as ever if you've enjoyed this uh video or podcast do us a favor hit like and subscribe I'll talk uh, long enough to fill until the video comes on. So yeah, appreciate all the reviews and all the support we get. Someone asked me if we'll have a live show soon, and I think we probably will in um, probably March or April. We need the weather to turn. We did do a, a live show in December once, and it was probably not not the best idea. Uh, I think, yeah, a few people got a cold after that. So, But, yeah, live shows are coming, so uh, keep an eye out for that as well. Right, uh, Tom, thank you very much. Appreciate you joining us. Pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Good stuff, good stuff. Uh, we shall be back tomorrow for a preview of the Bristol City game with Temps and Pete Blackburn and then a post-match stream on Friday. And then I get a weekend off, which my wife is very pleased about. You, that, your wife must absolutely... <laughs> yeah, my wife hated time. my old yeah, job. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. yeah, have your moments. <laughs> yes, yeah, certainly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, a good note to end on, slightly different. Uh, yeah, have a good day, everyone, and we shall see you tomorrow. Sports Social Podcast Network.